We're in Joshua chapter 6 tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 6. All right. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, oh God, so much for your word and thank you, God, for the power of your word, how it's changed and transformed our lives, God. You have demonstrated that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, thank you tonight that we've discovered wisdom and guidance in your word. We've discovered peace and a refuge. God, we've discovered your grace and your mercy, and you've given us an anchor for our lives in the midst of so many storms. We pray tonight that you would, by grace, reveal your son Jesus to us, the commander of the Lord's armies. We pray, Father, for all of those walls in our lives that need to come down. In Jesus' name, as we shout a shout of grace, we pray tonight that, God, those walls would just be removed from our lives, that we would experience the freedom and the grace, the loving kindness and the tender mercies of our God. We pray, God, that you teach us about faith and patience. And Lord, tonight we pray that there would be miracles that you would do in our lives as we seek your face in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I jump into the word tonight, I have to tell you that uh, a very precious brother in Christ that we love so much, Jonay Dominguez, went to be with the Lord this week. And, um, you know, many of you know Jonay, and uh, if, you, if you never had the opportunity to meet him, let me tell you, he was a man of God. I mean, he was on fire for the Lord. And, and he lived his life in a way where uh, he couldn't wait to get to heaven, and, and I know that uh, he is rejoicing to be in the presence of Jesus. And so uh, tomorrow night, let me see, tonight's, t- tonight's Thursday night. So tomorrow night, Friday night, uh, we're going to have a candlelight vigil right here on the property, and everyone's welcome. We'd love to have you. It's at 6 o'clock, and I want to encourage you to pray for, be in prayer for his wife and for his precious kids. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, from chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around this city, all the men of war going around this city once, thus you shall do for how many days? Six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. Hey, by the way, just a little math quiz tonight. How many times total did they have to walk around the city? Jeez, man, you guys are really bad at math, okay? Uh, Hey, once a day... For six days, you were right. And then on the seventh day, seven times, seven plus six is? All right, good. Um, Verse five, and when they, then we're going to have a math class next Thursday night. 
Uh, and when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear uh, seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. Hey, remember at this point in time, the manna has ceased. It's no longer falling from heaven. Uh, there's no more water that's coming from the rock because the people the people of Israel, the children of Israel, have entered into the promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. And they were to partake of the land. It was the land of promise. And, and as you studied last week, as Pastor Alec was teaching you, you discovered that the people were sanctified through circumcision. They were prepared for this glorious moment that God had determined for so many decades for them to experience. They were led by a leader. The leader was not Joshua, but the angel of the Lord, the commander of the Lord's armies. And let me tell you, the Lord has an army. He has an army. He has, he has an army. He had an army then of, of Israelite men. He has an army today called the church. But even beyond that, he has an army of angels. He is the Lord of hosts. And he has, he has at his beck and call legions of angels. Remember, as we read the story tonight, there is the physical realm and then there's the spiritual realm. There's what we see and what they would have seen with their eyes, and then there's a whole other world behind that. And we're going to see some mighty miracles that happened, no doubt, as a result of the commander of the Lord's army marshalling his army. By the way, do you know who the commander of the Lord's army is? The angel of the Lord? Hey, do you know who the angel of the Lord is? The angel of the Lord is Jesus, Yeshua, a pre-incarnate pre appearance, appearance of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, this is what happens. The commander of the Lord's army has a very uncon unconventional strategy. They come into the promised land, and the first city that they hit is the city of Jericho, a chief city of all of the cities. It was a fortified city. It was a walled city. It was considered to be impregnable. In fact, as we read that first verse, uh, the way that it's written in the original language, when in our English we read, shut up inside and out, uh, we're talking, some of you are like, I'd like to say that to somebody tonight, but don't do that. We're talking about permanently closed, right? They've recognized that the children of Israel have come, that they come in the name of Yahweh, that there have been great exploits by this God in history past, and they're nervous, they're afraid, they're fearful, and so what do they do? Man, they close the gates, they lock the city down. From a human perspective, if you're an Israelite, you're looking at this walled city and you're thinking, man, that is an absolute impossibility. But what they were about to learn was this, you can't lock, lock down what God has chosen to conquer. You can't lock down what God has chosen to conquer. You can't hold back what God has chosen to give. Hey, I mean this, when God wants to do something, God's gonna do it. There's no power of man 
There's no ability or networking or resourcing that humanity can accrue to itself to overcome the almighty power of God. And the people of Jericho were just about to learn that. I, I think when I think of that, I think of Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. It's said in a different way for a different reason. But Jesus said to that church, the church of Philadelphia, Behold, I've set before you an open door that no man can shut. And it is just a reminder, man, when the Lord is on your side, when, when you're walking with the commander of the Lord's armies, when the angel of the Lord, as the Bible says, has made his encampment around you as you're walking in his will, you are invincible. I'm not encouraging you tonight to test the Lord, right? I'm not saying, hey, jump in the car and hit 120 and see what happens, you know, because if God's for you, you'll be okay. I'm for sure not saying test the Lord, but man, as you're walking in the will of God and you're surrendered to the commander of the Lord's armies, you are invincible. You follow the Lord. Hey, we've got some missionaries here tonight. I think about Leona and her willingness to absolutely go anywhere on the face of the planet. And she goes to some pretty wild places, but because she is with the Lord and the Lord is with her, she is safe and sound in the almighty arms of God. And tonight, can I say, you are too. You are too. Well, you notice as uh, we just read these verses that there was uh, the, the reiteration of the promise, right? And apparently Joshua needed to hear it as Yahweh not only lays out the unconventional strategy, but reminds Joshua that the city has been given to him. And, and Joshua's learned, and I hope you've learned this as well. Joshua has learned at this point, when God says something, it comes to pass. At this point in his experience with God, as many decades as he's walked with God, as many times as God has said something in a prophetic sense, all of the things that God has said always come to pass. And there was that, I'm sure, that sense of confidence that Joshua had as he heard this prophetic word spoken once again over his life and the children of Israel as a reminder. You know, I think as he's probably listening to this strategy roll out and as he's considering the significance of the city and how big the walls were and Historically, we know that uh, these were big walls. It was a double-walled city. So even if you got through the first set of walls, there was a whole other set for you to get through. I think Joshua could have said, man, well, all right, it doesn't look like it to me, but as long as you say it so, right, as long as you've said the word, as long as you have spoken this thing, it's settled for me because I know that what you say will always come to pass. I pray tonight that we have the same confidence in the word of God. I pray tonight that as we survey the scriptures and open our Bibles in times of devotion, or maybe we're collectively studying together as the people of God, or we've tuned in our stereo, our radio, or our podcast, uh, somebody who's preaching and teaching, when we read the scriptures and we hear God speaking about things like who we are in Christ and how he's faithfully forgiven us and how he has a future and a plan for us that is filled with hope, I pray that we've discovered over the course of time in our life that when God says something, it comes to pass. It is true. You can plant your flag. You can drop the anchor. It is as good 
as done. Amen? And, and listen, I think as well, uh, this is not the first time. There may have been a nuance to this statement that, that, that Yahweh makes to Joshua. But remember, this is not the first time. This is not the first time that, that the Lord has spoken this promise. I mean, it's been spoken a number of times and it's been spoken in different, different ways. I mean, this wouldn't have been a surprise to Joshua. He wouldn't have said, oh, wow, that's awesome. It's good to know because I had no idea that you were going to go before us and conquer the cities. I mean, obviously, he's heard the promise before, but you know, God is so good. He understands that sometimes we just need to have it reiterated. We need to hear it again. I don't know about you, but but it is refreshing, it is reassuring to hear the promises of God. When you read the scriptures, uh, and this is one of the things that is so helpful, uh, when you think about reading through the Bible multiple times, or reading through particular books multiple times, because sometimes it's not the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time that you hear it, that it really starts to have an impact. It might be the fifth time, the sixth time, or the seventh time, or you know, you're just going through some circumstance in your life and you've hit that moment, that crisis of faith, and someone comes along because they've been stirred by the Spirit of God to give you a word, to remind you of a promise. And because of the position or situation you might be in in your life, it is a timely word, right? It is like apples, the Proverbs say, in settings of silver, and so let me say two things to that. The first one is this. When someone has the boldness and the courage and the love and takes the time to give you a word like that, make sure you're obviously setting it before the Lord. But man, as it's confirmed that it's from him, receive it with all of your heart. And the other thing I would say is this. If God stirs your heart to share a word or to, to give you a promise to share with somebody else, don't back away from that. Don't back down from that. Be faithful. Don't be afraid. Sometimes it's like, man, was that from God? Was that not from God? It could be from God. I'll share it with them, but what if it's not for them? What if it's for somebody? And pretty soon, you know, you're all wound up and spun around in circles, and, and more often than not, you know you've walked away from a divine appointment that God has is given to you, hand-delivered a message for you to lift somebody else up in their time of need. So the promise is reiterated, the strategy is given, and I will tell you, man, it is an unconventional strategy. If you did not know the end of this story, right? I mean, maybe you've heard it for the first time. Maybe someone's going to make a movie out of it, and, and maybe we have some creatives here. I don't think there's ever been a movie made out of the story of this destruction of the city of Jericho. So maybe that's, maybe that's for you tonight. But if you're just watching or reading for the very first time, you're thinking, man, this really doesn't make sense. You got, as the story goes and as the strategy is laid out, all of the men of war are gathered together. So we're talking about soldiers suited up. And then God gives them the craziest instruction, right? He says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to walk around the city for one time for six days. So once every day, one circuit around the city. And then on the seventh day, because with you, right in the middle, you're going to have seven priests. You're going to have the Ark of the Covenant. And those seven priests are going to have seven ram's horns. And they're going to be 
blowing those trumpets and they're going to be, it's going to be a processional that's honoring the presence of God because, because remember with me, it wasn't, it wasn't the power of the soldiers or the might of the, of the soldiers or the number of swords. It was the presence of God that was going to be demonstrated in power and in might. But here you have these instructions given that just seem to make no sense. Right, you've got seven priests and seven trumpets, and on the seventh day, seven times around. And then on the seventh time around, the trumpets are gonna sound and the people are gonna shout, and then this is what's gonna happen. These fortified walls, these concrete walls, these, these, you know, this city that has double walls around it, those walls are going to fall down. I mean, if you're listening to this, you're thinking, man, who takes an army and walks around a city? Who strategically exposes an army to that type of situation? You might be thinking, well, where is the power in a golden box? Or you might be thinking if you're a strategic person, a military-minded individual, you might be thinking, man, trumpets and people shouting, that just doesn't make any sense at all. So maybe some people were, as Joshua gave the commands to his generals and his captains and it kind of matriculated out to the people, maybe they were thinking, man, tactics and, and strategy, this is just not a good plan. Joshua, what about going under the wall? Or Joshua, how about going over the wall? Or how about we go through the wall, but certainly not around the wall 13 times? You know, here in this story, what we discover is that God uses unconventional tactics to accomplish his purposes. God uses unconventional tactics and strategies to accomplish his purposes. God, in other words, listen, God just doesn't do things the way that we would do them. And God, God doesn't need our wisdom. God doesn't need our counsel. God doesn't need our strategies. Oftentimes, you know, you have a plan. You set it before the Lord, and he says, you know, that is nothing. That looks nothing like what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. That's not even close. Church, I think that this story reminds us that we always need to be in a place where we are open to being led by the Spirit of God. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not that we come to God with our plans and ask him and, and, and we ask him to bless our strategies and our, our ideas. No, it's not that at all. Some people have defined leadership as influence or personality, but real biblical leadership means being led by God. That's a definition for you for leadership. When, when someone says to you, hey, how would you define leadership? It is fair to say that a solid biblical definition of leadership is being led by God. In other words, God is the one who is the leader. In this situation, it was the commander of the armies of the Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 to 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And so he's like, let me just give you an illustration you, you, you have your thoughts, I have my thoughts. You have your ways, you have your plans, you have your ideas, you have your tactics, you have your strategies. You've set this whole thing up and then there's my way. And let me tell you how close your way is to my way. He illustrates it by saying, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that's just, that's just God saying, hey, y'all aren't even close. You're not even close. Like, you're not even on the same plane. You're not even on the same plane. I mean, this for sure, for us, as we think about being individuals who are spirit-led, like, I know for myself, and I'm sure it's the same for you, you have had enough of leading your own life. You've, you've had enough of it being your way. I mean, for me, it was years of it being my way, and my way led me off a cliff. My way led me to addictions. My way led me to jail. And so when I put my trust and faith in Christ, it was like, I'm done with my way, God. I want your way. I want your way. It is your way or the highway, right? And, and God help us to never leave that place. God help us to never get to a place in our lives where we're just too smart for God. You know, we've got, we've got it all dialed in and, and nailed down and, and set up, and God has to come along and say, let me shake this tree because that's not even close to what I was thinking. Well, the story goes on, verse 8, the Bible says, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of rams, ram's horns, before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Check this one out. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now, obviously, there are things that God is teaching his people. Uh, he's teaching his people, like I said, that his ways were not their ways. It was an unconventional plan. But there were three specific things that God, I believe, was seeking to develop within the children of Israel. Number one was this, it was self-control. The trumpets are gonna be blowing, Joshua said, but he, he said, you're gonna be holding your peace. You're going to be staying silent. Uh, my Jewish friends say that the real miracle here isn't that the walls came down, but the Israelites stayed silent. Like, that's kind of a, a Jewish insider joke, but it's funny, right? Because you can imagine as they're walking around the wall on the first day, it was a big city. The complaints could have started rolling in. They could have been ridiculing Joshua. They could have been murmuring. They could have been tired. Like, are you serious, man? We've, got to, we've been walking for 40 years in the desert, and you're going to make us walk more. And yet in all of this, it seems to me to be that one of the one of the things that God was teaching them was self-control to control their tongue, to be able to know when to speak and when not to speak. Man, there's power in that. There's power in that. There is power in the capacity to put a gate over our lips. I think that you learn to keep your peace when Jesus is your center, you know, the alternative is this, James chapter 3, verse 6. James says it like this. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. How do you like that? For some of you, that was your day. I mean, you just, 
You just wrecked havoc with your mouth. But I think that, I think that we learn as Christians to keep our peace, to, to, to hold our tongue. We learn to live out what David said, put a guard over my lips, a gate over my lips. God, I don't want a single thing coming out. That's not pleasing to you and honoring to, to you and grace giving to those that I'm speaking to. I don't want anything that's going to convey uh, doubt or that's going to encourage someone to be filled with fear. God, I want to be wise with my words. I think the person who is wise with their words is settled with Jesus as the center of their life. Man, because when Jesus is at the center, right, when your heart and mind is set on him, you know that everything is just as God intended it to be. You don't have to be all fired up with fear. You don't have to be running off your mouth. You understand that as Christ is your center and he is the most significant, that really your opinions pale in comparison. All of the preferences that you think, that you think are important just fade away in the beauty of his presence. It truly is a sign of somebody who surrendered and submitted to the commander of the Lord's army, a person who has learned to control their tongue. Some of you are like, man, I'd like to clap, but I'm so convicted right now that <laughs> on the way to church, right on the way to church, like let's just have an honest, raw moment here. You got here, but man, it was hell getting here in your car with your wife or with your kids. And you know, guys, you know how it is. Come on now. You know how to play the game. You know how to look all spiritual and holy and righteous when you roll in and, and, and people are like, oh man, their family is so solid. What a solid family. But if you were in the car, it would have been like, what the heck is all this about? So, thank God for his mercy and grace. You can say amen to that tonight. Well, it was self-control. Self-control. It was also um, clearly, evidently, without a shadow of a doubt, it was faith. The Bible says in verse 12, we're talking day two now, that Joshua rose early. I told you a couple weeks ago, um, when you seek God early in the morning, only good things happen. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned into the camp, so they did for six days. Well, the second thing that I think, and this is super low-hanging fruit because you'll understand this, the second thing I think that they were learning clearly was faith. Clearly it was faith. I mean, there could have been the temptation to think, man, we're just walking in circles. We're just spinning our wheels. But they had learned in the desert, having walked so many circles, they had so many desert lessons. They learned that God was faithful. They learned that no matter what they were going through, God had purpose in all of it. There wasn't a circumstance or a situation that was insignificant as they were choosing to follow God, but it was all part of God's divine plan. I don't think they were in a place where they were concerned about their leader or they were concerned about the strategy because it was a matter of trust and they knew it. 
You know, oftentimes in our lives, we can get so caught up in the circumstances. We can get so caught up in the individual and we can completely lose sight of the fact that, let me say it like this, God is on the throne. God is on the throne. I mean, you got to remember the framework of your life. Every single day, no matter what you go through, if you're a child of God, God is on the throne. There's, yeah, that's right. That's right. There's not a, a, there's not a single thing that's, that's, that's been missed on him. There's not a situation in your life that he didn't know about before you were ever even born. And I think that the knowledge of the faithfulness of God in the past built for them a confidence in their present. In other words, it works something like this. God, we've seen you. We've seen you work before. We've seen you do things that didn't make sense, that didn't necessarily seem logical to us. I mean, we're, we're caught between a rock and a hard place 40 years ago. Pi hahiroth on one side and balls have fallen in front of us. And you led us there to a closed door, and it seemed like Pharaoh was going to destroy us. But God, what did you do? We didn't know you were going to do it. You knew you were going to do it. You split the sea. You parted the waters. You made a way. We didn't know why you would put us in what we perceived to be a rock in a hard place. But God, you knew all along you were going to work the miracle. You were at work in that thing that didn't seem to make sense. And then, God, you, you brought us to a mountain, a barren mountain, and that didn't seem to make sense either, but there at the mountain, you gave us the law, you revealed yourself. And God, even in the midst of our faithlessness, not being able to inherit the promised land for 40 years as we sojourned in the desert, you demonstrated yourself time and time again, bringing us to the Jordan River and then causing the waters to heap up 16 miles north beyond what we could ever even see. No, God, we've learned. We've, I, I pray to God we're people that learn. I pray to God that we are people who keep in mind the faithfulnesses of God in the past. You know, because the truth is this, he's, he has never let you down. He has never failed you once. It's impossible for God to fail God has taken those situations that didn't seem to make sense. And what has he done? Well, they're all pieces in his divine plan. They're part of what feels to us to be a puzzle. But from God's perspective, the picture's already complete. They were learning. They had been learning to walk by faith. And they, the real miracle here is that they had been trained to trust. I'm going to flip this around and say it in the negative you know, because as a Christian, even as a Christian, you can be in a place where God will take you through circumstances with the intention for you to learn, but if your heart is hardened, you will never learn the lesson. You will never learn the lesson, and then when you come to the next crisis of faith because you've disregarded all the things that God has been seeking to do in your life, you will have nothing to stand on in those moments. And so, so let's, let's determine to be in a place where we understand that, that God is sovereign, that God is providentially, as we're trusting him, determining situations and circumstances, and he wastes absolutely nothing. They could have said, man, one more time around the wall, but instead they chose to walk by faith. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down, 
And this is just a great commentary on this story. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And that last part is super important because the third thing that God was teaching the Israelites was patience. It was patience. And you see these two things, oftentimes, you know, in scripture, you see them together. You see them together here for sure, but, but when we talk about faith, you know, we also inevitably are talking about patience. It was by faith that the walls of Jericho fell down. That is so interesting because, you know, we talk about the power and the providence of God, and he's the one that ultimately executed the miracle, but the people were not just aimlessly walking around the walls, They were trusting that God was going to do just as God had promised to do. And because of that, there was endurance. Because of that, they chose not to quit. Because of that, there wasn't just this attitude where they were like biding their time. You know, where they were murmuring and complaining with with each other or to each other. Man, one more round, this is really miserable. Or, you know, one more miserable day, you know, how we can be. God oftentimes will put us in a situation where all of our dreams have yet to be fulfilled, and so we have these things that seem to be menial before us. They seem to not matter. They seem to be insignificant. They feel like one more task, one more time around the wall, one more day just to get through it, and God says, no, what I'm teaching you is patience. What I'm teaching you is patience. This is not just a task. This is not just another day. This is not just another time around the wall. I'm building your faith. I'm making you strong. Look, if if God did not put us in situations where we had to wait for him to work the miracle, we would have no endurance at all. The children of Israel couldn't have stopped. They could have. They could have stopped on the second day, but the miracle wouldn't wouldn't have happened if they stopped on the second day. How many of us have stopped too early? How many of us have become so discouraged and and downtrodden and, and disillusioned with what we thought was the will of God, but we just became weak in the moment and we stopped enduring? We quit too early and in that we missed maybe the miracle. It was after the seventh time on the seventh day that God did what he promised to do. And let me just say to you, keep Press it, keep trucking on for Jesus. Let me say it like a hippie. Keep trucking on for Jesus, man. Keep pressing on with what God has set before you. You may not see how it fits in the grand scheme of things. You may not even necessarily like it. It might not feel good. But if you've truly been trusting God and following him, and that begs another question, have you been trusting God and following him? Or maybe, look, you've put yourself in a situation of your, of your own device. It's not even that you're following after God's will. It's your own purposes that you've been pursuing. And that's something that, man, we've got to take to the, to the Father. And we've got to ask him to reveal to us. But if you've really been following the Lord, I want to encourage you to press on. Hebrews 6, 12 says this. Really speaking of this whole story, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Well, the Bible goes on to say in verse 15, kind of the climax of the story, on the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. 
And at the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, like, finally, shout, for Yahweh has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourself from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you've devoted them, uh, you take, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the de devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. That was unique for this particular conquering of uh, the city. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Say amen to that. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction. That's why I said amen, because some of you are like, what? Both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. So we'll, we'll, hit that. We'll, we'll hit that issue in just a second. But we read the story, and obviously it, it turns out just like God said that it would. They were obedient to the Lord, like I said, six times around, once a day for six days, seventh day. Uh, of course, they're all silent. They're waiting for Joshua to give the command. They can't wait to shout. Seventh time around, trumpets are blaring, people shout, and then the walls fall outward, uh, completely opening up the city for the soldiers to, to go in and to wipe out the inhabitants. I mean, there are a lot of lessons that, that they learned from doing things God's way. Number one, the mission was completed. The mission was completed. The children of Israel learned as they walked by faith, as they were willing to be patient, as they demonstrated some self-control. Church, I want to just remind you tonight, all those three things are solid things that we need to learn to apply in our own lives. But what they discovered was this, God always completes the mission. God always completes the mission. It wasn't by man's might. It wasn't by man's power. It was by the Spirit of the Lord. It was by the commander of the Lord's armies, and the walls came tumbling down. John Cougar Mellencamp listened to the song later on. I think, you know, they could have said, man, the walls are too big, um, but as they trusted God, God showed them that nothing was bigger than him. The weapons that they carried were irrelevant because the weapons that God fights with, fights with are not flesh and blood. They're not carnal, but they're spiritual in nature. You know, God has equipped you with spiritual weapons, and that's, yes. And that's exactly what Paul said, right? Our weapons of warfare aren't carnal in nature, but they're mighty in God. And, you know, there's this spiritual correlation with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to this story. You know, mighty in God, pulling down strongholds, fortified cities that we built up in our own minds. You know, there are sometimes as we're, Yielding to sin, and as we're yielding to compromise and temptation, there are strongholds that can be built up in our minds. Strongholds of lust or strongholds of fear, strongholds of, of doubt, strongholds of greed. And God has given 
us, you know, tonight you might be in a spot where it's like, man, I've got all of these things happening in my life. I don't know how to overcome. I love the Lord and I want to grow in Him. I just don't know how to deal with these things that seem so deeply rooted. And, and the Bible says, well, guess what? God's equipped you. He's equipped you. Well, number one, you have the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's power in the blood, right? Power in the blood to not only forgive you and to free you from the eternal consequences of sin, but there is also power in the blood to liberate you from sin's present power in your life. Like it's not your willpower anymore. It's not how much you're able to assert yourself. It's not a man-made program or philosophy. It is the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It is the Spirit of God, the Bible says, that sanctifies you, sets you apart. You and I are a work in progress. God is molding and shaping and changing us. If, there, if you could see into the spiritual realm, there would be signs around us that say, under construction. Now, I will tell you that as you read the Bible, the words sanctify or sanctified or sanctification, which means to be made into the image of Christ in holiness, the Bible presents it also in the past tense because from God's perspective, it is a work that's already done. Thank you, Lord. But God is doing this work in your life through the power of his Holy Spirit. Well, let me ask you, what other, what other weapons do you have that are able to pull down the strongholds in your mind or in your life? You have prayer. Man, there is power in prayer. You can go to the Father and beseech him and plead, and you know what he does. He answers those prayers. What else? You... Okay, all right. We've got the Word. There's the, the, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus said, John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Good to be in the Word of God because He shapes your heart when He does it. There's worship. There's power when you praise God. Like you are liberated, you are set free. There's one I haven't heard yet. Oh, yeah, fasting. That's a hard one in our... In, in our American culture because, you know, we can pick out every sin except gluttony. Isn't that fascinating? Especially in the city of Las Vegas where there's just so much great food. But fasting as well. Fasting is, an, uh, is another weapon that God has given to you to be able to overcome sin in your life. I would say to you tonight, man, if, if you're in that place where you've been struggling and fighting and making no headway, you feel overwhelmed, stop relying on your own power and start relying on his. Take all of those tools, all of those weapons, and begin to use them in Jesus' name. And not only that, but when, what we see here is this, the conquering was complete. And we see that it's clear, it's evident, because that's how the story rolls out. But it is interesting as well how often the number seven is used in this story. Remember, seven symbolizes completion. Some would say perfection, but really I think three is a number of per perfection. Seven symbolizes completion. Seven days in a week, and you can fill in the rest. We have seven priests, seven trumpets, seven days of marching, seven circuits around the city on the seventh day. Seven was a significant number in the life of Israel. 
The Sabbath was celebrated on the seventh day of the week. There were seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost. The seventh year is a sabbatical year. After 49 years, seven times seven, comes the year of Jubilee. Three of Israel's feasts fall in the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And then, of course, you know, when God finished his work of creation, he rested on the seventh day. Jews also say that there are seven promises in God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. There are seven branches on the candlestick in the tabernacle. And I'm saying all of that to say to you, God always finishes what he starts. God always finishes what he starts. Be confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So the mission... Yeah, you can give him praise. The mission was completed. Also, consecration was expected. Consecration was expected. So there was a command for consecration. And, and in that command, remember, they were to give everything that would have been normal plunder or booty. They would have given it as a first fruits offering to the Lord, dedicated to the house of the Lord. This was an expression of praise. This was an expression of gratitude. Uh, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just the, the diamonds and the rubies and the silver and the gold. Everything was to be consecrated. You know, I just think that when you see God work a miracle in your life, it compels you to consecration. When God does, when God comes through, when there's an answer to prayer, when God fulfills a promise, when you get to the end of some ministry adventure that God has set you on and you look back and you see the faithful hand of God, man, that compels you to want to live a more consecrated life. I got to tell you guys, Rachel and I were in Costa Mesa a couple of days ago and we were there for a missions conference and um, I've been saved for 30 years this month. It's been 30 years. Some of you are like, I'm not even 30 years old. Like that's, that's crazy. And, and I remember, man, being five years old in the Lord or eight years old in the Lord and thinking, man, 30 years old, you guys are so old. And now here I am just aging and elderly in Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I got saved uh, at Costa Mesa and um, I lived in Balboa on the peninsula when I gave my life to Christ. And, and you know, we were on the peninsula and I was just looking um, at very familiar surroundings, thinking about you know how good and faithful God has been to me over the course of 30 years. And I thought, God, you know what? I don't, I don't want to burn out and I don't want to fade away. I just want to burn more brightly for you. I want to lean into your word. I want to lean into prayer. I want to lean into your presence. I want to finish strong. God, I want to be stronger as I go through this next season than I ever have been before. I don't want to... I don't want to lighten up. I don't want to let up. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to be tuned out or turned off. God, I want to be, I want to be on target. I want to be everything that you want me to be. Make this last season greater than any other season in my life. Hey, if you're in my spot and you've got some gray hairs, I'll say you can praise God that you've got hair in the first place. But if you, if you, you've been around for a while, You've been around for a while, and man, you're just like, I'm just going to cruise and set it on, I'm just going to, you know, set it on cruise control, 
and I'm just going to let it ride, I would say to you, don't do it. Don't do it. Finish strong. Finish strong. Be that person that's willing to say, you know what? I might be close to retirement, but I'm not just going to fade into the distance. I'm not just going to ride out onto the desert. God, I want to change a nation. I want to impact a church. I want to reach the underprivileged. I want to touch those kids who've never, never heard about the beauty of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I just say that when you experience God, it compels you to a greater consecration. Yeah. Let me wrap up. The Bible says in verse 22, but the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and you remember her and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel and they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she's lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I'm just going to wrap the rest of this up and make a couple comments. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho, at the cost of his firstborn, shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son, shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. So, <laughs> so, so they learned that God finishes what he starts. They learned that when God really does demonstrate his power and his presence, it leads to a greater consecration. And they also learned to fulfill the promises that they had made. And you remember, the spies had gone into the land and Rahab had said to them that she would protect them if they preserved her and her family's household. And so what we see here is this, God, God fulfilled his part. Um, because you know that the soldiers were sent into the place where Rahab was living. Remember, Rahab lived, do you remember where she lived? She lived on the wall, but the walls just came down. So apparently, all of the walls came down except the section where Rahab lived. So if you're checking this whole thing out, what's left over from the walls of the city Jericho is this tower that God preserved because this woman chose to believe by faith. So not only did God fulfill his promise to her, but the people also kept their word, right? The people learned to keep their word. They fulfilled the promise that they had, they had given. God's expectation for the children of Israel was integrity. It was truth. And I think that's not only true for them, it's true for us. We should be people of integrity. People should be able to count on our word. If people can't count on the word of a Christian, right? I mean, you can finish how that sentence goes. When we say yes, our yes should be yes. When we say no, our no should be no. Just as Jesus said, anything more than this is not from God, it's from the devil. 
And you know, this woman, she was rescued, she was preserved because she chose to believe by faith in the God of the Israelites. Lots of lessons here to learn tonight. And, um, and I want to just encourage you as, as we're wrapping up, I don't know what walls may exist in your life. It, it may be that, that there are relational walls that you're dealing with. It may be tonight that there are, there are financial walls that you're dealing with. Um, it may be tonight that there are glass ceilings that you're struggling with as you're looking to advance in whatever vocation you have and there, you just seem to be hitting a wall. I want to remind you tonight that he is the one who can bring the wall down. Be patient. Be a person of faith. Live with that self-control, speaking those things that bring honor and glory to God. Remember that God will complete the mission. He will finish what he started. Your responsibility is to simply be faithful. And as you walk by faith, I want to encourage you to do so with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. And God, I pray that we would take in what you have given to us and that there would just be that unique and personal application as your Holy Spirit has just directed your word to, to that area of our heart that needs your divine touch. God, I pray tonight in Jesus' name that, that walls would come down, strongholds would be leveled. God, that the weapons of warfare would be taken up, that it wouldn't be by our might or by our power, but it would, in fact, be by your Holy Spirit. Sanctify us, O oh God. Transform us and change us. Mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus. Fill us with a song of praise. Give us patience, God, not to trudge one more time around the wall, but to lift up a song. God, to be filled with joy, to live in the framework of your promise, knowing that though, God, we may not see the completed picture, we can only see one piece of a puzzle at a time. God, you know exactly what you're doing and it may feel unconventional, it may look illogical, but as long as you're steering the ship, God, we're good. We are good. We trust you. We praise you. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.